Well, good morning. This is a fascinating series. I think, as I said, when we, the very first week, there's a lot more in Joshua than I ever expected to find. It's also very interesting because although we got the initial breakdown of what the different topics were going to be right at the beginning, none of us looked this far down. So last time I was speaking to you, I felt quite guilty because I only had to get through six verses and other people were doing great chunks of geography. And so I opened to prepare for this one and I've got four chapters. Are you sitting comfortably? Did you bring lunch? Last week, when Audrey was speaking to us, she spoke about the whole kingdom concept and the way, in her particular example she was given, one particular person had received the bark cloth and was there for the crown prince. He was going to be king. And reminded us that we have received something far more important. We've received the deposit of the Holy Spirit and we know that we will rule and reign with him forever if we are a part of him. If we are believers, if we are followers of Christ, if we are Christians, we have received a great and precious promise that our future is secure and it is great, that it is glorious and there are wonderful things ahead for us. My, every time I try and work this out in my head, I forget how many weeks, but a few weeks ago, when Jo was speaking, she finished with a whole bunch of questions for us to think about, one of which was, what promises have we received that we have not yet seen come into play? And to go back to God and say, we're holding on to that. I want to pick up from those two base points and say, where are we at? Given what we've received, what are we doing with that? Where are we going with that? Now, let's step back and say, what have we received? If we have not yet received Holy Spirit, if we are not yet walking with Christ, feel free to listen, but I'm not primarily speaking to you. That great promise that's been given is so vital. That reassurance that although we are dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for us to give us hope. That Jesus came so that we do not have to go to hell for eternity, to suffer immeasurably, unimaginably. But he has given us a great promise, a great inheritance, a great hope and a great future. Because that is what we believe. And that is what we stand in. So just letting those two things settle into your mind to start with. Remembering, what has he promised you? What has he promised you as an individual? What has he promised you as a family? What has he promised you as Cornerstone Church? What has he promised you as the church in the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland? What has he promised you as the Church of Christ throughout all ages? His promises are great, his promises are, are vast, and they're not yet complete. We are still taking ground. We are still fulfilling his promises. When he said, go into all the world and make disciples, it wasn't a good idea. He knew what he was talking about. We haven't yet gone into all the world. There are still hundreds of different groups of people around the world who have never heard of Jesus. There is ground to be taken. For a lot of the world, 
We got to hear about Jesus because people came from Britain. There is ground to be held because the enemy is taking it back. And we need to be consciously aware of taking ground and holding ground. Now, as I say, four chapters. No, I like scripture. I believe in the public reading of scripture. But I also have a nice plan for this afternoon and I'm therefore going to dip in and out. So let's start then, not in Joshua at all, but in Numbers. And in fact, to give a bit of background history to where we're at, the Jews had been held in bondage in Egypt. They were slaves. They were under oppression. And God miraculously brought them out, brought them through the wilderness, and they came to the point where they could see their future. It's almost like us. God's brought us out of our sin, brought us out of our commitment to hell and to destruction, and we can see the future, and it works, and we can do this. And they're at that point. They're at Kadesh Barnea, and Moses says, okay, you 12 guys, Go into the land, take a look, see what you see, come back and tell us, because let's be sensible, let's go in by the, the correct route. Very different scale. This morning, Joel sends a message out saying, traffic's gone pear-shaped in Walden. I suspect I wasn't the only one who grabbed his phone to check and have a look at maps. Same thing, you're going into an area, check it out. Moses, good thinking, send 12 guys in. And they come back, and they've got bunches of grapes that are so big it requires two guys to carry them. There's stories about the produce, everything's great, but ten of the guys say, hmm, but the giants, they are big, they are ugly, they are scary. And the people were scared. The other two guys, Joshua and Caleb, said, yes, but God is with us. The land is good, we'll take it. And the people were scared. So it's Jacob, it's, jo it's Joshua and Caleb versus the rest. As so often, when truth comes out, it's a few against the world. You and me, contra mundo, against the world, against all the forces against us. When our society says, uh-uh-uh, you don't go that way. Society says, this is what's right now. It's never been right in the last history of society, but it's right now, and we're going, it is right. This is normal. Be not afraid. If Joshua and Caleb could stand, so can you. Which brings us into Joshua chapter 14. We read in Joshua chapter 14, from verses 6 onwards. And then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Zephaniah the Kerizzite, said to, the, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again, as it was my, in my heart. But my brothers, who went up with me, made made the heart of the people melt. And yet I wholly followed the, the Lord my God. And Moses swore that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord your God. And now behold, 
The Lord has kept me alive, just as he'd said these 45 years since the time the Lord spoke that word to Moses, whilst Israel was in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. And I'm still as strong today as I was the day that Moses sent me. Uh, sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there, and, how, and with great fortified cities. And it may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and, and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to, that, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba, and Arba was a great man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. The Anakim, the giants, the land which they'd looked at and they'd been frightened of. Caleb says, I was 40 then. 45 years later, I'm 85. It's time to rest. It's time to settle. It didn't quite work out the way I thought it would. It's okay. Caleb, I am 85. And I'm as strong as ever I was. Give me the hill country. Give me the land of the giants. Give me a challenge. Give me something to do. All through the years, his providence has led me. His abounding goodness has been all my song. This is a sort of Caleb-type song to sing. It's a case of, I can do it. I'm not tired. There is more. Give me this hill country. There be giants, but I be strong, and it is my promise, and I will take it. It's hard to hold a promise for 45 years. It's hard to hold on when things aren't going well. I love talking to you. I really do. What you don't know is that around about 45 years ago, I was so impressed by the scripture that says every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it really spoke to me in a promise type tone that said, Michael, as you preach, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And I've had this image in my mind since then of as I preach, rows of people lining up, praying, and committing themselves to God. I like preaching. A lot of you kindly tell me that you like my preaching. I have never yet seen one person come to God as a result of my preaching, and it hurts. Please don't turn to God today out of sympathy. But this is a promise that 45 years on, I'm still holding. It is so easy to say, maybe I'm a teacher, not a preacher. Maybe I, maybe I got it wrong. Or I can say, give me this hill country. Give it to me. About 10 years after that, I was living in Zimbabwe in hyperinflation, money was non-existent, pensions were non-existent, savings were non-existent, everything was a mess. So basically, I had a good job, and as a result, my parents were still able to eat because I was able to support them. 
I was single. God had not yet granted me a superlative blessing in the form of this wonderful woman. And I looked at my situation and I said, this doesn't work. My dad's medication, my folks' very livelihood depends on my salary. God, you have not given me a wife. You have not given me a, a child. There is nobody behind me to look after me when I retire. This doesn't work. I have no pension. I will have no savings by that point in time. Okay, God, let's do a deal. Can I die within a year of retirement, please? I don't want to die in poverty. And there was silence. God said nothing, loudly. And I said, what? And he said, if I am Jehovah Jireh now, can I not be Jehovah Jireh then? It was a rhetorical question, but it's a promise to me. When I go through times when I look at it and I think, I left Zimbabwe, the shape of the economy says, there weren't savings, there weren't pension. We've arrived in the country start, largely to start again. And God's given us three years here where, for circumstances, there was lockdown, there was unemployment, there was fun. And I can go, woe is me, for I am undone. For I will die a pauper and sleep under a bridge. Or I can say, give me this kill country, because he who was Jehovah Jireh then will be Jehovah Jireh to come. I can stand on that promise because it's not about me. It's not about my fears. It's not about what I haven't yet seen. It's about what he has promised. Give me this hill country. Give me what you've promised, Lord. You're going through a time of illness. You're going through a time of depression. He has promised that the time is coming when there will be no more death, no more crying, no more sorrow. Give me this hill country. Take the promises he's given you. Hebron belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kerizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. And the land had rest from war. If he hadn't followed the Lord wholeheartedly, we do not know what would have happened. We're not told. But look what God did for the whole land. Caleb's determination to walk with God made a difference. But he wasn't alone. Sometimes God says things in a very specific context and it rings in all sorts of contexts. And when God says it is not good for a man to be alone, we think, oh, it's a marriage. It is. But trust me, it's not good for a man to be alone. It's not good for Caleb to try and take his hill country on his own. Yes, I'm as strong today as I was when I was 40. We're going to do this thing. But not on his own. God's whole model says we go together. In Ephesians 4, we read that Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Why? He gave them to equip his people. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ will be built up. He gave special giftings to special people so that everybody can do stuff. And they will do stuff until they, we all reach the unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God 
and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There is so much more to be promised. There's so much more to be done together. Not because there's a few whiz-kid Christians who are going to do the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist thing, but because we together, the whole body are working together. Paul's writings again in 2 Timothy, he calls Timothy to be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus, in the grace of Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses and, and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others and join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Tell it to people who can tell other people and join with me. It's team sport. I am as strong today as I was 45 years ago. Come with me. Let's do it together. And so we read on then in verse 13 of chapter 14. Joshua blessed him and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kerizzites' inheritance. Am I in the right place? Chapter 15, verse, verse 13. My bad. Chapter 15, verse 13. According to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, he gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the people of Judah. Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. And Arba was the, farm, was the father of the Anak, and therefore of the Anakim, the, the giants. And Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak, Sheshai and Achiman and, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak. And he went up from there against the inhabitants of Debir. Now the name of Debir formerly was Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, Whoever strikes Kiriath Sefer and captures it, to him I will give Aksha, my daughter, as wife. And Ophniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, captured it. And he gave him Aksha, his, wife, his daughter, as wife. Caleb wasn't messing. He goes and he kills three sons of the giants, sorted. But there's still this little pocket here, which I am 85. I can feel it in my lumbar spine. I'm 85. Tell you what, if somebody else can do this bit for me, they can marry my daughter. Those of you with daughters or those of you who will have daughters, I'm not recommending that this is a spiritual principle, that you give away your daughters. But it does say, God has given you a promise. Don't be greedy. Share what he's calling you to do. God has called you to Medway Valley. God has called you to reach the people of Medway Valley. Bring others with you. Who are you discipling? Who are you bringing with you to say, come share in my reward. Come share in what God's given me. Come, let's take the land together. Come, Ophniel, there's a work to do. It's not in the notes. It wasn't an early edition of the notes, but it, just, but it fell out, but it just came to mind again then. The whole newsboy's concept of we've got a job to do, we're running out of time to do it. We've got a gift to use. Let's get out, get out in the world and use it. Banish selfish pride. It's time to unionize. Or don't you think it's time to boycott hell? Unionize, get together. We've got a job to do. Off, Neil, come with me. Come, give me this hill country. Come fight with me for this hill country and let me share the inheritance that God has given to me because of it. As I've been loyal to Yahweh 
and to Moses, you've been loyal to me. You see it in the New Testament where Jesus gives the example of the, uh, the servant. And the master says, share in your master's glory. Come with me. Share in the reward he's given. So, Othniel marries Aksa. Now, Aksa, she's the daughter of Caleb. And she has her father's strength of character, shall we say. From verse 18. And when she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she got off her donkey and Caleb said to her, what do you want? And she said, give me a blessing. Since you've given me the land of the Negev, give me also the springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Oh, there's so much bounty in God. God has given us so much. It is one of the huge privileges that I run into on a daily basis when I look around the society he's given us. And today he's even given us weather. He is so good to us, so kind to us, but there is so much more. More than we can ever imagine. So if you received all you think you're going to receive, ask for more. No, I'm not asking you to become a prosperity, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it kind of person. That's, I don't think, is the line of scripture. But there is a stage of coming to God and saying, you're a big God. Yes, please. Little kids, they come to their parents and they say, I want juice. I want a cookie. Because they know their parents can provide. Ask. His daughter comes to Caleb and says, can't I have some water to help do the land? Trust your father in heaven. He knows what you want. Ask him. Stretch the analogy. As Christians, we consider ourselves to be the bride of Christ. The, br the bridegroom has already conquered the land. Ophniel has taken the land. The bridegroom has taken the land. Can I have the springs of water? We can have the right to go to the Father because of what Christ has done for us. As Christ has given us this remarkable venue, what more can we ask for? Take it and turn a phrase. Oh, what more can we ask for? This is wonderful. Sit back, put up a big screen TV, settle back. Nice leather, lazy boy chair. This is lovely. Thank you, God. Or we can say, can we have some springs of water, please? Can we see the spirit move in this area? Can we see hauling being recognized as the outbreak of the next revival? Can we see the gospel going from here, north up into Cuxton, down into Snodland? Can we see upper hauling walking down the road in their hundreds on a Sunday morning because the kingdom has come? Lord, you've given me the land. Can I have more? The Psalms are confusing sometimes because when God inspires David to write something, 
we're never sure how much David is seeing for himself and how much he's seeing beyond that. But in Psalm 2, he says, I tell you the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, and today I have, beg have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Ask of me. You asked, and I've given you Hall and Community Hall. But ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. Your heritage. Not just Cornerstone's heritage. Bolivia, Mozambique, the nations of the world, your heritage, ask of me. God is quite hard sometimes because he makes such big offers that it's scary. Ask of me and I will give you the nations. Ask of me and I'll give you the nations who are living amongst you, yes, but... Why is Toby being sent across to the far side of the world? I don't know. But Toby, ask of me and I'll give you the nations. Is, this, is God doing something through the, through the scouts? Wouldn't be the first time. For each one of us, as we look out, ask of me. He's offered. Chapter 17. I'm not saying the rest of these passages are not important. I'm saying it's short on time. So go back and look at them. It's fascinating to go through these lists of places that are mentioned and work out their overall history. If you've got a Bible with cross-references, see where they go to, see what happens. See what happens when the Jews don't take Jerusalem and they have to wait hundreds of years until David pulls in in 2 Samuel to take it. But in chapter 17, we come to a fascinating little story. Because now, Zelophehad, the son of Hepher, the son of Gilead, the son of Melchior, the son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughter. Machla, Noah, Hoglam, Milcah, and Terza. And they approached Eliezer the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the leaders and said to them, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. And so according to the mouth of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among the brothers of their father. Society said, we'll divide the land up amongst the sons. Often it makes sense because the daughters come with the sons, because the daughters are married to the sons of other families. Nobody loses out, generally. Zulofahad's family, no sons. And in all societies, don't think that we're too modern and civilized because it still feels it here. Land is important. So Zelophehad's daughters say, who are we? We want land as well. There are places in our lives where society says, no, you don't get that. Society says, that's not the way we do things here. And as children of the king, we have a duty, a right, and a privilege 
to take our promises, to say, God spoke through Moses and said we would inherit. Give us our land. There are many things in our society where society says one thing and we know something else is true. Give us our heterosexual marriages. Give us our right to love our neighbors even if they arrive by boat. Give us our right to care for people. Don't insist on the government doing it for us. There are times when we have to take our promises even when our society says no. And yes, there is a subtext. What's the word for it? Dana, but feminist gospel in this. Ladies, do not sit back and say, but I am not one of the sons of the tribe. God has given you the land. Daughters of Zion, rise and take your inheritance. When Jesus say yes, nobody can say no. Stand up and take the land. From verse 14 of chapter 17, we read, And then the people of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given me but one lot and one portion as inheritance, although I am a numerous people? Since all along the Lord has blessed me. And Joshua said to them, If you are a numerous people, go up by yourselves to the forest and there clear grounds for yourselves in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaim, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. And the people of Joshua said, The hill country is not enough for us. Yet all the Canaanites who dwell in the plains have chariots of iron, both those in Beth Sheen and its villages and those in the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua said to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, You are a numerous people and have great power. You shall not have one allotment only, but the hill country shall be yours. For though it is a forest, you shall clear it and possess it to its farthest borders. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have chariots of iron and though they are strong. Lord, you've given me the land. I ask you to give me the, the, the nations. Because why? Because we can do more. Lord, we feel that we've, you've given us more. Lord, if we feel that we can do more, okay, but there's forests. You're going to have to clear the forest yourself. Okay, but the enemy's there, and they have chariots with big, nasty iron wheels, and they're going to run you over. but you're strong. And you tie these together, you say, Lord, give me the nations. Are you sure? Do you know what's happening in the nations? How are you at coping with Sudanese rebels? How are you at cleaning up Indian train crashes? Are you not comfortable in Medway? Give me the nations sometimes means give me the challenges. Take me deeper that my faith would be made stronger. 
Stretch me, Lord. Grow me. I want to be more useful to you. Give me more land that I may go. And yes, it's tough out there. But that's okay because I'm asking you for the privilege and I will do the work. Ecclesiastes 8.8 points out that there is no discharge in war. And whether you're a Caleb, figuratively, and getting to the stage of it's retirement now, or whether you're Caleb's daughter, Aksha, saying, I need more quality in what I've been given. Or whether you're Zelophehad's daughter saying, circumstances haven't allowed what you've promised. Lord, I want it. Or whether you're the sons of Joseph saying, we can do more. Use us, Lord. There is no discharge from war. And until such time as he has brought all of his enemies under his feet, we're in a war. There is no sit back, we're done. You're off duty, demob time. This is war. I grew up in a civil war situation. And I watched as, while I was going through school, so I wasn't actually at fighting age myself, but I watched people go from a two-month military call-up twice a year to the point where they were on six weeks in, six weeks out, continually throughout the year, and to a point where those guys, civilians, they weren't full-time military people, were on indefinite call-up. Their families did not know where they'd come back. Because why? Because there was a war on. And the survival of the nation, as it was seen at that point in time, depended on these guys. There is no discharge in war. We don't have the privilege, as we take the land, as we are taking ground and holding ground, we don't have that privilege of saying, I'll do Christianity for six weeks, and I'll take six weeks off. We don't have the privilege of saying, Sundays and Wednesdays are fine, but let's not do too many Wednesdays. We've got a job to do. We've got to do it. In his strength, not in ours. This is the thing, is we keep coming back to that whole original thing of we are here as children of the king. Because of what he's promised. Because of what he's done in us because of what the inheritance he's given us. We're not working to earn. We're working to receive what he has promised. And that's what we come back to is the promises. Have you ever heard of John Piper? Yeah, some of you might have. John Piper, one of the most amazingly godly people who God's given us in recent years. But in 2000, he was speaking at the Passion One Day Conference. Some of you may have already heard this. But he says, and I'm not even going to try the accent. If I start, stop me. Three weeks ago, we got word at our church that Ruby Eliasson and, and Laura Edwards had both been killed in, in Cameroon. Ruby was over 80, single all her life. She, put it, she poured it out for one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80 years old and serving by Ruby's side in Cameroon. The brakes failed and the car went over the cliff and they were both killed instantly. And so John Piper says, I asked my people, was that a tragedy? Two lives driven by one great vision, sent in, uh, spent in unheralded service 
to the perishing poor, and to the glory of Jesus Christ. Two decades after most of their American counterparts have retired to throw their lives away on trifles in Florida or New Mexico. No, that is not a tragedy. That is a glory. And John went on, I tell you what a tragedy is. And he read to them from Reader's Digest. And he says, this is what a tragedy is. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. And now they live in Ponta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise in their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. The American dream, come to the end of your life, your one and only life, and let the last great work before you give an account to your creator be, I collected shells. Look, Lord, see my shell collection. That's the tragedy. There is no discharge from war. However tired we feel, however old we get, however much we don't see what we've been waiting for, give me this country. Caleb, at 85, go get him. The people of Joseph, significant growth, achievement, prosperity, go get him. My granddad, towards the end of his life, his sight failed horribly. I mean, he was pretty close to, to blind. But he liked preaching. In fact, he was called to preach. That was his gifting. Every night, his wife would read to him in bed at night, and he would listen. He couldn't read himself anymore, but he took it in. And that was his preparation. And up until just before he died, in his 90s, he was preaching. His own church said he was too old, so he went around all the other churches in the village. That's the way Granddad was. You keep on going right to the end. There was an ONS survey was released this week talking about the different professions. Pointing out that two of your oldest professions, in other words, the professions were the oldest people, politics and the church. Now, look simply, that's not a bad idea because you get your wiser people running the country, we hope. But churchmen should be, you should expect to see a blump in the older end of your churchmen. Because why? There's no discharge in this war. There is no reason for Christians, whether they're full-time ministers or you and me, to say, I'm retired now. Give me this hill country. Never give up. Never slow down. Are there still the lost to win? Are there still people in the Kent area needing Jesus? Are there still poor, needy, lost, hungry, sad, and neglected people around us who need our love, our support, and God's kingdom poured into their lives? Give me this hill country. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, 
and sat, right, and sat down at the right hand of, of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Give me this hill country just as your father gave you the cross. And you, Lord, did not despise it, but took it from me. It is such a mind-blowing thing. When Jesus got to Gethsemane and he was at the stage of, Lord, must I? Lord, if there's any other way that this cup can pass and I don't have to drink it, I'm in. I'm tired, Lord. I've been working hard. Look at all the people I've fed. Look at all the people who've been healed. Look at all the people who've come to know of you. Is that not enough? But he took it. Perseverance. Let us persevere. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us because of him. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's what we're going to do now. We're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. Over on the table on the side there, there is some bread and some juice. As we remember what Jesus did for us, as we take the bread, dip it in the juice, and remember his sacrifice, remember his body broken for us and his blood spilt for us that we might receive his promise. Let us in gratitude come back to him and say, give me this hill country. Challenge me again. Lord, take me deeper. Make my faith stronger. Help me walk on the water. Help me take this land. Help me be what you've promised me. Help me live in my inheritance. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you died for me. Not because I deserved it, because I don't. But because you loved me. Thank you for what you've given. Give me the courage to accept your inheritance and to take the hill country. Amen.